Good morning and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 to The Breakfast Show. You might be listening on the internet as well. I don't know where you are, but you're joined by Lawson and... It's Mon. Mon. Great to see you. Great to see Fantastic you too, Fantastic to dear. have you in here, you know, doing the show, making me breakfast. What? Making you breakfast? Well, I saw all these ingredients across from me and I figured that you wanted to make me some breakfast. So presumptuous, young man. I, I, will, I will make you some breakfast. I got, some, oh, I got okay. some raisins and cinnamon bagels and I got some uh, homemade guava jam from one of my staff. Guava jam. And it's so good. Guava yeah, shout out jam. Sylvia. She makes all kinds of jams and preserves. She's actually what I'm grateful for this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she, she literally brings me goodies every week. What's your favorite type of jam? Oh, 100% rose hip jam. Not even a, not even a fight. That? Yeah, rose. It's super rare. It's a European. You know roses, like the rose bush. Yeah. And then, like at one point during the growing bit, there's like a little red bulb, and out of that comes the rose before it blooms. Mm. They call rose hips, mm-hmm. and you can collect. It's absolute nightmare. I try to make it myself. You collect them all up, then you have to peel them and gut them, and then it leaves you a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of flesh, mm. and then you make that into jam. I literally spent two weeks. Um, gutting and peeling like just one handful of rose hips and it literally made, like a teaspoon of jam and I was like, forget this. It's almost impossible to find in Australia. You can only find it like in Eastern Europe. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm into this jam. It's like quite, uh, you know, um, quite niche as well. Yeah. Uh, strawberry jam. It's like, <laughs> it's, you know, I know that many people probably haven't had that one, uh, cause of how niche it is, but I love it. I, you know. Are you calling me out? <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, strawberry jam is the bo- that's actually a huge throwback to me being like sixteen, living in Spain, and living off of bread and strawberry jam for like a month when my raspberry Trump away. strawberry jam. I'm nah, strawberry is where it's Gotta at. Have that oh, mate, sort yourself out. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is the Faith FM Breakfast Show, and I'm going to give you a clue for our quiz this morning. It is a Who Am I quiz, and the first clue goes like this. I am also known as Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Mm. Hey, there you go. If you know who this is, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. That is the number. In fact, only text, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't please please text us. Our, our call line is down right now. So if you can just send us, sneak us a little little text in with the answer. Can you read that one out again? I am known as Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. And if you get this right, you will be in with a chance to win um, hot, uh, the Revive Cafe Cookbook Volume 8, which has hot spots and stir fries, main meals, sweet things, sides and flavor boosters, and even beverages. Breakfast. Hot pots. Yeah. Hot pots and stuff. stuff like Creole jambalaya and quinoa zucchini bowl and Italian polenta smash, roasted tofu mingle. That one sounds particularly good. Corn chowder, eggplant and I jackfruit masala. Do you know who does the best corn chowder? Seychelles. DJ Shell. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Red pepper stroganoff, Italian coconut chickpea hot pot, ponzu chick bowls. I don't know what ponzu is, but I would eat this 100%. Pon- well, <laughs> ponzu is the word in Chinese for fat. Oh. <laughs> so it's a fat, what, what is it? A chick bowl. It's a fat chick bowl. Dude. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's powerful. <laughs> um, and Chinese egg fried rice, egg in quotation marks, because this is a plant-based whole food cookbook. Mm. Uh, so you definitely want to get your mitts on this one. Uh, give us a 
text 0491064669 and tell us, who am I? I'm also known as Joseph A. Levite from Cyprus. I will give you oh. more clues throughout the show. They will get easier, but they will get less in value. Mm-hmm. The draw is tomorrow. That's right. So you've got today and tomorrow to get this an- to get the quiz right, and then you'll be in, in to win. All right, Monica. Yes. Give us a clue. I just did. Yeah, yeah. Well, give us a news story then. <laughs> <laughs> Lawson, wake up. <laughs> I am, I am I'm awake. Kidding, I'm I kidding, am here. You've been awake for a long time, I know. Hey, I actually have a really cool story, and this relates to what we were talking about yesterday with Jennifer Scoos, um, when she called in on Wednesday regarding uh, at the brain brain health and the brain's ability to regenerate. And you know how she told that amazing story about that lady who um, had a baby who was born without a brain? Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, and she loved the baby and just took care of it and it, it grew a, it grew a brain. I know that sounds a bit <laughs> like an insult, but yeah, it, grew, it managed to generate <laughs> its own brain, um, which is just incredible. But mm. um, there's another story that's coming out about uh, a brain regenerating itself. Um, so... They actually use music therapy mm. to help a paralyzed man walk and talk again um, because apparently singing and hearing unlocked his brain. So she was talking about like um, neuroplasticity and these neural pathways and how uh, doing different things can um, activate like different pathways. So even if you've lost the ability to do something, your brain can find a new pathway around your around your brain, I suppose, to get to the same same result but just using a different method and so um this patient a 71 year old ian palmer he was left almost completely paralyzed excuse me from a rare disease but he's now walking and talking again after a music therapist prescribed uh, mindful listening uh, to his favorite song every day which in this case was a tune by the carpenters <laughs> uh, so he was struck <laughs> he was struck down with a uh, gulian bar which is a syndrome um last june and it forced him to spend seven months in hospital he was unable to walk un- unable to speak properly uh, apparently this is a like a rare condition that happens when a person's own immune system attacks their body's motor nerves and it causes muscle weakness and sometimes paralysis uh, so he said that it selectively uh, targets the motor nerve cells and you have to wait for them to regenerate, which in your 70s is quite worrying. I was in intensive care being suctioned 24 hours a day as I couldn't even swallow and this led to choking problems and I had a nasogastric tube fitted for over four months. Man, being like conscious and choking and not being able to like do anything about it must be just an Awful, awful feeling. Uh, Ian's speech was affected by the syndrome because it caused damage to his larynx, the tunnel in the back of the throat where air passes through to create sounds. Uh, but he was transferred to a lady called Sue, um, to, sorry, transferred to Sue Ryder Neurological Care Centre, which is apparently a state of the art care unit in uh, Lancashire in England. And uh, his clinician, Claire, uh, started using music therapy to overcome um, the new paralysis wow. of his whole body. So the specialist uh, taught him techniques using his favorite records, and he began losing to uh, listening to music every night, as well as um, attempt like as he as he began to get more mobile, he he began to start playing like little things like little little bongo drums that don't require too much you know mm. skill, and also um, as much as possible singing. Mm. So um, he was skeptical. But he can now walk three kilometers a day and he can have conversations with his um, family after the exercises opened up his brain. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Like, and like, I've seen videos of like the way the, the neuroplasticity, how it happens, how the, the, I think it's called a neurosnaps is how it, 
creates a new jolt of electricity mm. down a different pathway in the brain. It's so amazing. Mm. Um, he's never been very musical, apparently. So when they suggested that he try music therapy, he was like, what good is that going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said he's a typical man. He thought, what's a girl with a guitar going to do for me? <laughs> and um, Change yeah. your life. Yeah, just, just that, that, that's... snap you out of paralysis. That's all. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but it really worked. Um, you know, they sat him down and explained the process. And, uh, and you learn that music is um, unlike other therapies because it opens up all parts of your brain because it engages a lot more of your brain. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so they, they started by getting him not only just to listen to his favorite songs but to to sing a long note, just one single note, just basically just utter a sound and then mm. but hold it um, using his diaphragm to assist. Man, I could I could get a job as a music therapist. Yeah, you 100% could. Yeah, just tell people to listen to their favorite tunes, <laughs> just, or just play it for them, you know, to justify to justify my paycheck. No, but that's that, that's amazing. That's so I, I love that. So this stimulus has come and it's done a work, yeah. in his brain. And- yeah, but I've seen other videos on YouTube where they've done similar therapies, and it's always blown my mind. I feel like we're really just are scratching the surface when it comes to brain and you know, understanding the brain. I've seen videos where um, people like they're, they're paralyzed and their legs just won't do their thing anymore, but they've hooked up the person's tongue to a bunch of like electrosensor device stuff, mm. and then through the tongue. They've managed to send signals to the brain that you that, that usually tell pers- a person to walk, and so they've sort of like they've sidestepped the legs and through gone their through their tongue. You can look it up on YouTube right now, um, and you'll see this. This the patient is walking. A, a formerly paralyzed, completely paralyzed person is walking on a treadmill with their tongue hooked up. And they're like, their tongue is like flexing different ways. Yeah, or- and they're like, that's amazing. I can walk again. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, no, no, no. So, so I want to know. But it's is- not permanent. Like, it's all all they're doing. They're just doing it as a therapy, and they're just yeah. doing it long enough until those neuro pathways have been created, and the person can walk again. So when they're when that. Is it the machine sending signals signals yeah. through the tongue to walk, or because I'm thinking it's like they flex their tongue a different way and then their the legs their legs, legs move? You know? I don't know 100 percent how I, I, the machine works, but it, it was sending some sort of current, like you know, to activate that would, that yeah, would, yeah. to activate the part of their brain that they thought. Because I I have a feeling it's not so much that the brain is paralyzed; it's your body that's paralyzed. And so what we need to do is send the signals that your legs used to send that they no longer send, but mm. just send it from another part of the body. Um, so yeah, actually, the, the, one of my favorite documentaries is a um, a brain scientist whose his own father had a stroke mm. and became basically what they call you know, you know how they say that it became a vegetable mm. and he um and they were like just you know just switch off the life support he's got nothing left but he took his own father home and he would um, lay him on the ground face down in the garden every morning and then just tell him to get up. And, and to, just to move. And for weeks, all the father did was just lie on the ground. And, you know, there was no response whatsoever. But eventually, <clears throat> his brain, because, you know, his brain was like, I can't do it the normal way. I have to learn a different way. And his father, <clears throat> who could hear, <coughs> excuse me, persevered. <laughs> and uh, and when the people came back to visit the documentary makers, the father was just sitting up, you know, gardening in his garden and had learned new lyrics. That new, is, yeah. get up. Just it's one like, of the most heartening, laying, heartening documentaries to watch. Yeah, and just being told to move and he was, you know, vegetative. And, yeah, and then be able to see him just, you know, go out in the garden and do his little, you know, pottering around as he used to do and just manage to find new neurological pathways in the brain. 
It's incredible. The brain is incredible. That is. Yeah. Does that mean people in a vegetative state are some actually of them, aware? Some of them. They, they've proved that some of them are aware, but some of them aren't. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. And Lawson, do you know what? If you ever have a stroke, I'll do that for you. I'll, I'll, I'll put you me. in my garden and I'm lay on the ground, like, face like, down. No, don't do it. <laughs> and I'll tell you to move. And, and I like can't say anything. Wow, that's tough. <laughs> I'll look after you. I'll Thanks, make sure Monica. your brain brain kicks in different. It, I'll well, play I you would some love songs. To walk again, you know. Oh yes, you <laughs> yeah. can play and sing. That'll be the one me. time you get me to sing. I'll yeah, send you when you've had. That's powerful. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Bienvenido. Thank you for joining us this morning on Faith FM. You're listening to The Breakfast Show, and we are going to have another clue for the quiz. Who am I? I sold a field and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Mm. Get in, get yourself into the prize draw to win the Revive Cafe Cookbook Volume 8. I sold a field and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Who was that? Who was this mysterious landowner? If you know, 0491. 064669 sold sold their land. I was about to give away some extra information, but well, we already know that their name was Chase. <laughs> but but we, we're looking for their <laughs> other name. 0491-064-669. Uh you're listening to the Breakfast Show this morning, and very, very recently, like overnight, uh Vladimir Putin's life was threatened. When is it not being threatened? Come yeah, on but, but it was no like, it, it, it got a little bit close to home because the Senate building, which is in like the Kremlin, like Red Square, like where Vladimir Putin is, yeah. there is footage that just came out of a drone flying overhead and then exploding. No, are you kidding? Yeah, it doesn't seem like from the footage to hit anything. It just flies in and explodes. Is it, did it... Which building in particular? It was that ice cream top looking building? Yeah, one? it was the dome. No, I love that building. Yeah, it's yeah, so it was the one with the dome. But, like, the building doesn't look damaged at all because it exploded at the top of the building. Like, it, it didn't. How, it didn't, how did like, they get a drone that close? I, I'm beginning to smell inside job vibes. And, and that is exactly what's going on because the Kremlin immediately. Re- issued a statement being like, this was Zelensky, yeah, this yeah. was the Ukraine, uh-huh. they're trying to kill Vladimir Putin, uh-huh. and they are terrible people. And then Zelensky's like, like, no. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like no, bro. Yeah. Like, okay, but at the same time, if you were Zelensky, maybe you would deny, you know, involvement. Right. But simultaneously... That's a dumb Okay, okay, but it. this is the other thing. This is the it's other 2023. Thing. First of all, we're all too clever now. We know we know this kind of stuff happens in war games. But, but you and know... And so all of us own drones. We know the limitations of them. I mean, sure, military drones are probably a lot better, but, like, I feel like that's a real weak attempt. But also the fact that this... The explosion of this drone on top of the... On top of this building... Did absolutely zero nothing, damage. Nothing, yeah. And that's because they're coming up very soon to National Victory Day or like national it's like a huge celebration. They've got stands all throughout Red Square to get all the all the Russians in and have a big celebration and a party and a festival and whatnot. And if this wasn't an inside job, I'm thinking maybe some radicalized local. Some some Russian who's like fed up with Putin. Yeah, yeah. That's like some 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 young guy. If I'm being totally honest. But again, I I, I kind of I like the inside job um, 
I like the inside job s- story or conspiracy because it just fits so well yeah. <laughs> as to as to what's taken place here. Because and and that's exactly what Zelensky's saying. It's like we haven't done anything. If mm. if anything, Russia is invading us and attacking us, right? And this just gives them more license if people right. believe them to to push further into yeah, our exa- territory. That's exactly what it is. Uh, so so that's what Zelensky said. But again, you look at the footage and you see this drone fly in. You know. It's it goes in and it gets right to the top of the building and you're expecting oh it's like oh man is it going to hit the flagpole is it going to hit the dome nope without hitting anything just explodes in a fireball and then that and then that's it and 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 again the russians are saying this was an attempt of vladimir putin's life whatever do you know what that possibly was it possibly was one of their own security devices malfunctioning <laughs> it's and just, now they're using it as an excuse to you know to justify their their war war crimes well the uh the footage shows one drone but the kremlin is saying that there were two drones oh no two uh and this comes after uh russian strikes on ukraine in the southern area of ukraine that killed actually like 21 people okay and so like, again, Russia is posing this as, you know, a mm. retaliation, a, a threat against Putin's life. But I, I think that there is just such a level of deception going yeah. on here. But it's from it's from both sides. Yeah. I think that the war in Ukraine is obviously unjustifiable and it's terrible and the loss of life is just awful. Absolutely. But, again, it's just turned into a war game. And I think for us sitting here as Christians. I have this conversation a lot because there's lots of talk around world politics and, and people are often asking the question, oh, well, which side do we take? I, I know actually some some foreign, you know, international people that have become nationals here in Australia that have left their countries as a result of not wanting to face persecution and, and whatnot for maybe what they believe or the way that they live or their particular race and people group within their nation and they've come here to Australia and it's like, Oh sweet. Okay. Like you've found some level of freedom and you found some level of less persecution. But then I hear them like, Oh, if our, if Australia ever goes to war with my country, I'm going to fight for Australia and da, da, da. And I'm like, from my perspective as a Christian, I don't think that's what it's about. Mm. I don't, th- I really don't think we can take any side politically because every side politically, we know from reading Revelation chapter 13, every side, and Revelation chapter 17 as well, every side politically is going to fall to the influence of the Antichrist. That's right. It's going to fall to the influence of the second beast of Revelation 13. It is going to be actively trying to administer the mark of the beast to everyone. There is no political system you can trust. There is only a God in heaven which you can trust. And it, it gives me like Daniel vibes, you know, when Daniel walks in, yeah. he, his nation has been destroyed. He ends up in Babylon. He's a, a, a literally a child or like under the age of 18. Uh, when the kind of Daniel two controversy happens, his life is on the line and he walks in and yet it doesn't say again, he's trying to save his life and the life of his friends by telling this prophecy to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's had this dream and he says, if no one can tell me the dream, I'm going to kill everyone. And Daniel walks in and he doesn't say, I'm trying to save my friends. He doesn't walk in and say, I'm trying to save my country. I'm here to push some issue or whatever. He, he, he walks in and he says, this dream 
which none of the wise men, the astrologers, the soothsayers, no one could tell you about this dream or this prophecy or what it means. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He brings nations up and lays them low. Like Daniel ultimately says, hey, I, I am here to tell you something that God has given to you who is far transcendent and above any political system. And so I um looking at the story, I'm I'm like, man, our world is clearly <laughs> ending soon. Yeah, yeah. We're Je- on the Jesus this, is, we? is clearly coming back soon. So let's take sides with God rather than Amen. take sides in these conflict that is just often smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. and we really, really at the end of the day don't know what's going on. Speaking of countries and speaking of legislation, I've been trying to talk about this for the last three days, and I'm always run out of time. But look at me go! Oh, I've two got two minutes a, left. I've got a couple minutes to talk about. In Texas, mm. the the you know state government there have pushed a bill, and as well as the uh, education board there, that. Every public school in Texas needs to prominently display the Ten Commandments in every classroom after this legislation has been Mm. approved. Uh, If passed by the House of Representatives, two pieces of legislation would also allow schools... Uh, school districts to set aside time for students to pray and read religious religious texts. Now, this is quite an interesting story mm. because you could say, like, as a Christian, like, oh, isn't that a win? Kids get to read scripture, but mm. and and the scripture reading and praying is optional, but the displayment of the Ten Commandments it's compulsory. So every school, whether you know, every public school, whether faith-affirming or not, has to display the Ten Commandments that come out of the, the Torah, the Bible. And I'm, I'm a little bit torn. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that, to be honest. I, I think as soon as you start forcing it onto people, they're going to reject it, and that's been history. Should we share the gospel via legislation? Yeah, no. This is the big question. It never and, works. And, and I don't think it works. Now, I think a legislation allowing people to... Uh, run optional Bible classes and optional prayer yeah. Yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. And, but, if a, and if a classroom or a teacher wants to put it up, then sure. Mm, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on, on compulsory Ten Commandments, especially, like, without its context mm-hmm. as well, like going into school and reading, like, you know, <laughs> thou shalt not make graven images to any other God. I'm like, d- do kids even understand? Right. And what-, what happens if you have a teacher who's against it and will mock it? They'll be like, yeah, we're hanging this up, but we, you know, and yeah. mocks it. It's also state, uh, it's state schooling, which people from other countries and other cultures, we've always battled and said, hey, you should enable Christian schools to be able to teach in a Christian way because people want Christian education. But what if people don't want Christian education? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to Faith FM this morning, The Breakfast Show, and we are going to have another clue for the quiz. Who am I? All the apostles were afraid of Paul until I brought him to them in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. Getting a bit easier. That one's worth 300 points. So, So this person was then... Actively responsible for enabling Paul's ministry. Yeah, it's true. That's it was, amazing. He was part of the part of the uh, part of yeah. the team. Just like you're responsible for for my minute. <laughs> because the first I time, wash my hands. When, when was the first time I met you, Monica? 
Uh, I met you at Big Camp maybe in like 2018 or 2017. I think it's 2017. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, guys, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. And if you do, you'll go into the draw to win the Revive Cafe Cookbook Volume 8. Who am I? All the apostles were afraid of Paul until I brought him to them in Jerusalem. Mm, fantastic. So you are listening to The Breakfast Show this morning. Unfortunately, we were supposed to have an interview with John Ashton, and it seems as though we haven't been able to get hold of him. It's we- not unfortunate, Lawson. It's a happy accident because now we're going to interview you. Oh, no, I wanted to interview you. No, I want to interview you. What? What? Huh? Huh? Well, we wh- totally agreed this before we came. No, on. <laughs> we did not. We wanted to talk about how it was that you came to be in the studio. I drove here this morning. So tell me, how do you know Jesus Lawson? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So, well, I guess I guess we can talk about that and, and just some some experiences. Have you, have you ever shared your testimony on Faith Event before? Because because you are you are the full time Faith Event presenter, and that's I think right. I think our listeners uh, should be able to get to know um, who their presenters are and how their presenters uh, came to be here. Even mm, absolutely, yeah. Well, I Lawson Walters am a man from the amazing area of. New South Wales, and specifically Newcastle, and specifically Lake Macquarie. I was born though in Newcastle, so I am a full-time Novacastrian. Uh-huh. That's that's the name that we call people from Newcastle. Uh, I grew up in Lake Macquarie. I grew up in a small little town called Rathmines, oh, yeah. and I grew up in a family that was relatively well off. My dad owned a kind of manufacturing metal manufacturing construction business, uh, and he was doing really well. Yeah, I think there were a number of years where he was turning over, like the business was turning over $10 million plus dollars a year, um, and particularly the, the very early 2010s for a couple of years there, uh, like 2010, 2011, 2009, that kind of thing, uh, he was he was personally earning like over a million dollars a year mm-hmm. uh, or more. So we were, we were doing quite well growing up. And so I grew up in a, a very secular Australian family. My mum is nominally Catholic. Her parents are Catholic, you know, church attenders for a long time. And I grew up in this really, really awesome area of of Rathmines on the lake. You know, we had this four-acre plot uh, that was then onto, onto the lake there. And so... It, it was just amazing uh, because we had four acres with like motorbike tracks out the back and like, a, you know, heaps of space to run around. And then also on the lake. So my sister's really into sailing and my dad, we're like lake people. My dad, a fisher and a sailor, won a, a number of, you know, sailing competitions locally and did some national racing and whatnot. Even got line honors in the Beta Bay, which is like a big popular sailing race. Um, my, my sisters, you know, all of us were into sports like my especially my, my older sister went to the national championship for um sailing when she was maybe 13 14 something like that my second older sister was regularly qualifying into like regional or state for swimming uh at school my little sister later in her schooling she was she got a scholarship to go to one of the best schools here in newcastle because she's on the, their national rowing team all of us getting relatively good grades, except for me. My grades were <laughs> were really bad, and that wasn't from a lack of understanding. But I had, although all of us like had an interest in sport and an interest in 
um, school or you know went decent in schooling. I kind of leaned very heavily into the sports side of my life, mm. and the reason that was is because I, I started racing motorbikes at a at a young age, around six. And in the beginning, I was like really slow and just getting lapped and just going to the track. And there would actually, <laughs> my dad tells me stories about how like there would be days where he wouldn't want to take me, Aww. and and that's fine. Like it's it's like a holiday thing, you know. And dad, my dad, he has to like look after the bikes and look after me and he's just like I'd been riding a lot at home and he's like oh so he'd take me to the wrong track oh. it'd be like oh there's a race this weekend and he would take me to the wrong track and we'd go there and it'd be close he's like oh sorry Lawson and then he would take me to like a restaurant we'd eat breakfast together you know get get a big brekkie each and then he would drive me home and it was just like it was That's so sweet it was though. cute like like most of the time he's like taking me but again I'm like coming last every race yeah. um, but you're still keen but then over the next couple of years it I started to run about the mid-pack, and so my dad was just getting more keen and interested in taking me along. And in 2008, I went to my first Australian Championships, and I think I finished like like 25th or something out of the out of the the 40 guys who were there. Like it was, I was I was just like a mid-pack guy, pretty pretty average. Until 2009. Uh, in 2009, I go to a club meeting. I was racing in the Curry Club. Curry the Curry Curry Junior Motorcycle Club, which is here in the Newcastle area, or the Hunter Valley area. And it's one of the strongest or stronger uh, racing clubs in Australia. And I rock up there. And in my first race of the year, I guess something just clicked. I was 10 turning 11 at that time. And I win the club day. And it's like, oh, you know, my local club day, I just I just went out and, and won and I beat a bunch of fast guys. I was like, oh, good on you. And then I started going to some open meetings, which is like where clubs race each other. And I started winning those too. I was like, oh, okay, Lawson's, Lawson's really winning. And then I went to my state championships that year, the New South Wales state title. And then I ended up getting second in the state. And it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is really legit. And then... At the end of that year, I went to the Australian Championships. It was being held down in Canberra. I was 10 years old. I was racing in the under-11s category, and I won the Australian National Championship for under-11s motorcycling. And it was a big thing for me, and it was I was really stoked. And that kind of then solidified me throughout the later years as being one of the faster or fastest riders in Australia. Between the age of 10 and the age of 15, I was a six-time national champion. Would you say that the, um, this sort of became like your identity? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it became my identity because, well, I I had become sort of a, like a, you could say like a hot property within, mm-hmm. within Australia, and I was winning everything. Not only was I winning everything, especially my last year in Australia, I had won the under 16s national title i was i was 14 uh, and i had won the under 16s national championship and then they gave me special dispensation to ride in the over 16s australian championship which is like over 16 is that's then the senior category and it's unlimited age right Mm -hmm. so it's like over 16 is like you're an adult in racing world uh i raced in the over 16s australian championship and i won that too at, wow. at 14 and I set I think I set like five lap records that year which is like pretty substantial because I think lap records are the real way to show whether someone's really on the pace or not if you're if, if you're racing against say like if you have a weak year where like no one is really that good then they'll be far off the lap records but 
I, yeah, I was going, all, pretty much all the tracks I was going to for Australian Championship races, I was setting lap records. And so I was like, okay, Lawson is the newest, hottest thing in Australia. And then the decision was made from there to go and move overseas and uh, race in Europe for a couple of years. So literally my job, uh, my whole life became motorbike racing. It was, I was an aspiring motorcycle racer. The level that I got to was a, was just before the step of, of professional. It was full time, semi professional. Um, I was racing in the junior world championship, which is the highest level before you take the step into the world championship, earning a big salary, you know. So, so what happened? Like, why aren't you, you're obviously not racing now. Yeah. Yeah, fully. Something so, happened. So there was quite a big shift that happened in my life when I got to the end of 2015. I had a lot, a ride lined up for the next year. And um, basically everything kind of fell through. Uh, my parents actually had split up and gone bankrupt while I was in Spain. That company went bankrupt. And so our lifestyle of being well off really died. Um, yeah, just sponsorship, different things. Everything just fell through all at once. And I went from... In- in November 2015, living in Spain on the beach in my apartment racing motorcycles to 2016, uh, April, my dad's living out of a car. I'm, you know, my, my mom and my sister are living in a small apartment together while my little sister finishes school. Uh, and yeah, at that time I was kind of just floating and I tried to go to TAFE. I went to TAFE for a brief period of time, but then ended up not, you know, seeing that through because I didn't even have the money to pay to go to TAFE to do like a $2,000 course. Um, yeah, our family had nothing. Everything was being liquidated. And wow. and it led to me as a 17-year-old, just like my my purpose, the basket that I had put all of my eggs into had suddenly you know fallen off the table and disappeared. And I didn't have any schooling. I'd left school at the age of 15 to go and, you know, pursue the dream of motorbike racing. I, so I didn't, I felt like I had no prospects. And because of that, I was like, what is even the point of living? Again, I'm a secular person. I grew up growing in Christian schools. I had Christian friends who are really lovely people, but I just could not see the purpose of, of life because it was, it was like, oh, uh, well, how, how can I even get out of this hole? Like this, I felt like I had no direction to go. You know, my, my challenges that were before me were insurmountable by myself. And I'm like, okay, well then if they're insurmountable and I'll just live in this really mediocre existence, then what's the point of continuing? Mm. And so that led me into a pretty heavy place of depression and self-harm and alcoholism, and then eventually um, suicide and attempting. And it was actually at that point, my parents found out I, I ended up in a uh, being institutionalized. I was in hospital for six weeks. And it was during that time that my sister, my one of my second oldest sister, Maddie, she started dating a Christian guy and praise God they're married today. Uh, shout out Maddie and Kane. And she wasn't Christian, but Kane was taking her along to a, a Bible study and they would go every week. And there was uh, maybe like 30 people in this Bible study, just a bunch of people sitting around. And they got to an end of the end of a Bible study and they asked the question, Hey, does anyone have anything to pray for? And my little sister, uh, my big, sorry, my big sister, um, she put her hand up and she says, yes, I want to pray for my little brother uh, because I don't want to lose him. Mm. And this time I'm in hospital and they get together and they pray and they pray this prayer that essentially goes, Lord, come into Lawson's life in a very powerful way and show him that you love him, that you're there for, that you're there for him and, and help him to live for you. Because right? again, that's the, the challenge in my life. What do I live for? What's the point? Mm. Um, Lord, bring him to a place where he lives for you. I came out of hospital at the end of my six-week stay there, and I moved in with my 
oldest sister, uh, Haley. Shout out Haley, who just recently got married. Shout out Haley and Jared. I moved in with them in Newcastle, and the next day, uh, these two girls knock on my door. Uh, Jordan and Elise. Uh, they knock and. I started to have a conversation with them. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what they were about. I didn't know why they were there. But uh, I knew that they were both foreign. So we talked about travel for a bit because they both had accents. And then they say to me, oh, Lawson, you know, you seem like a cool guy. Do you want to come to dinner with us? And, I, and I'm like 17 and <laughs> single. And these two cute girls are sitting there asking me to go to dinner with them. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Then they ask me like, oh, Lawson, can we get your phone number? And I'm like... <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, this isn't usually how this works, but uh, <laughs> okay. But um, but yeah, I ended up going to dinner with these guys, and I start. I spent time for the for the first time in my life. I spent time with a group of young Christians, uh, and they were just so loving, so happy, so content. And I saw something in them that was different, which attracted me to continue to spend time with them. We would go to dinner every Thursday, play volleyball or soccer every Sunday, you know, just hang out. And I started going along to Friday nights and doing a Bible study. And then I, I attended church for the first time and I heard the message of Jesus. I This this sermon, I can never forget it. It was really powerful. Uh, but it's, the essential message was that, like, although we fail, although we're not good enough, which is exactly how I felt at the time, Jesus still takes us in. Mm-hmm. And that kind of opened my heart up to go, okay, what are these guys about? Like, what do these guys believe? Who is Jesus? And then I started studying the Bible. And studying the Bible, like, well and truly changed my life. Mm. Seeing that, like, well, seeing that God is good through, you know, looking at the different doctrines and the different beliefs, but also observing Bible prophecy and seeing that there is tangible, observable proof to God's supernaturality. Like if God can say that things will happen in the future accurately and they happen, it was it was amazing like for me to see. And and because of that, I ended up becoming a Christian, getting baptized. And then at the age of, you know, 18, I, 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 early 18, I'd been baptized. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with my life? You know, uh, what's, what's my future look like? And I took the opportunity to go to the Arise program and that was in 2017. I've been doing ministry ever since, and that has led me to the point I'm completing my degree in ministry and theology. I, uh, I'm speaking here on Faith FM Woo! every morning, and I've had the privilege to go out to give Bible studies to baptize people. Praise the and, Lord. And to become a disciple of Jesus. So that's my story, guys. I hope that's a, a, that fitting, incredible. a fitting fill-in for John Ashton. No. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.